thank God for his grace, for his mercy, for his compassion and kindness that he extends to us. And there is none like our God, and he is so worthy to be praised. And we want to just welcome you into the sanctuary this morning. And we also want to welcome those of you who will be in us via live stream. We are so glad you're a part of our worship service this morning. And we thank God for your presence. Uh, before we dive into the text today, I have a couple of things I just want to remind everybody. Please don't forget Walgreens is in the parking lot. And if you want to receive your flu shot, you can just stop out there in the parking lot. Walgreens is here and we're offering flu shots. And also on September the 26th, September the 26th, you can uh, from 9 to 12, September 26th, you can have uh, a COVID test for free. We're offering COVID tests for free on September the 26th from 9 until 12. So anyone can come and can receive the COVID test as well as the flu shot. You don't have to be a member of Impact Church. We just want to make certain we are offering these services to our community as part of our, our outreach. And so we want you to be a part of that. Uh, just come on out and participate. And also the night of worship. This Tuesday uh, at 7, we have our worship. Every month we set aside one, one Tuesday. And we want to have a time where we devote just to worshiping and giving God a praise through song. And so we thank our praise and worship team who does such a wonderful job, our band and everyone. And so we want you to be a part of that on Tuesday at 7. Uh, we're going to have our time of just worship and song to our Lord. So we would love for you to participate. So just log on if you can't come, but you're welcome to come and be a part of the sanctuary. We would love for you to be here. Uh, we believe God has called us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And so that is why the sanctuary is open. And that's why we are here worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And so we're so thankful for that. Hey, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 14 today. And uh, we are looking at who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we're looking at the biblical perspective of what does the Bible say who Jesus Christ is? And so we're in the Gospel of John in chapter 14. We have been going through John. This is week six. And we've been looking at the various aspects of who is Jesus. And the Greek there in the ego I me, he says, I am. Ego, I me, I am. And he tells us so many things about who he is. And we are looking at that from the word of God. And today is a great text. And I want you to please, please, please at home. I want you to make certain that you have a pen and some paper right with your Bible, because there's some things I'm going to ask you to write down. I'm convinced in the ecclesia, there are some things that Christians need to make certain that we know either write it, type it. I like what the late Dr. Howard Hendricks would say uh, at, when we were at DTS, Dallas Theological. He would say all the time, uh, a sharp pencil always be the sharp mind. Some things we need to write down so we can retain it. And so there's some things we're going to talk about today. And I want you to write them down uh, and, and make certain that you have them as part of your weaponry. This is part of our equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we need you to write this down today. It is so important. Uh, as always, each week we ask you to please text, to tweet, to post something from the service. Let people know, hey, I was at 5401 Shadow Band Place, the Woodlands Impact Church, and we are proclaiming uh, the love in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we want you to please text, tweet, or post something and from the service, a verse, a fact, impact factor, something uh, that resonate with you. Send it to those loved ones that you have. Let them know you've been here. Hey, we're going to be in John 14, and if you're there, would you please stand with me? We're going to read a few verses out of John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. I am reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. 
Um, your version might be a little different, so mine might read a little different. But we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I'm going to read the first six verses out of the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And then we're going to look at who is Jesus Christ. He says today, I am the resurrection. I am the way of the, the light of the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's read. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You may be seated. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. He is the way. And we thank you for today, for an opportunity again to study your word. Lord, speak to our heart as only you can. Father, just guide us, remove any barriers, anything that will hinder us from hearing your word. Father, we want to retain it so that we can live a better life for you and honor you and bring more glory and honor to you. So, Father, please speak to our heart as only you can. And for whatever you do, we be certain to give you praise, the glory and honor. We love you. We ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning, before we dive into John 14, I have a little video I want you to watch, I want you to see, and I want you to see what people are saying about how to obtain salvation, how to get to heaven. Thank you. That's honestly a tough question. question. I, I think, think almost every faith has their heaven. I think that I'm going to heaven because I believe in God and I believe that Jesus died for our sins. In my opinion, I have, it hasn't been determined for me yet just because I haven't really lived very long. Yes. Uh, I'm a Catholic. I don't think many of us can actually know until we die, I guess. I do believe I'm going to heaven. Um, I grew up in the church. If you believe that you deserve to go to heaven, in a way, if you believe you're the honest and good person that you should. I do think I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Um, well, I was raised Catholic, so I was raised that as long as you accept Jesus into your heart and you practice basically what you preach, then you go to heaven. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Maybe not because I just Jesus' name in vain. I've been saved and I've been baptized and I go to try to go to church every week and read my Bible and stuff. I guess I believe in God and I believe that like after life he brings us to a better place and you get to be like reunited with your loved ones. I, I like that idea that it's almost if God does love everyone that all his daughters and sons should go to heaven. I can't determine that. So personally... I don't, I don't know, know if heaven exists. Kind of hope it does. After my decision making lately, I might have some repenting to do, but I definitely think that I'm going to heaven because I'm an overall good guy, good person, you know, um, have a good attitude, and I believe in God and I go to church every once in a while. Um, I haven't really been to church in a while, but since I have accepted Jesus and I try to live by the Bible, you know, um, not sin as much and just spread the word about Jesus, then yes, I do feel like I'm going to heaven. I Hmm. Various answers. Some are saying 
whatever faith you have, whatever you believe, you should get into heaven. If you listen to some of the things people were saying, um, I don't know if there is a heaven. I guess I've been good enough. I'm a good guy. I haven't done many bad things, and so I should get in heaven. One lady said, can you know? If you look at our country, if you look at the various faiths, how people believe, you will see that there is a broad array of beliefs as it relates to what is required to have access into heaven. What is the prescription? How does one definitively know whether or not they are going to heaven when they die? That seems to be the issue. The one thing I'm convinced of is that Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he lets us know some things about, first of all, who he is. And once you know who Jesus Christ is, he explicitly explains to you, how do you get to heaven? We've been going through looking at these ego I me's, these seven I am statements of Jesus telling us who he really is. And we began in John 6 looking at the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. He explains that he is the bread that feeds us not only physically the manna that came down from heaven, but he's also the spiritual bread that nourishes us and help us also grow in our faith spiritually. He's the physical spiritual bread. He's also the physical light. He's the Shekinah glory that led the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness wandering. He was the light that shined and illuminated their path. But he's also the light, John says, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus says also, when you go on in John, he says, I am the door. He's the door that guards the sheepfold, that secures us, that ensures that nobody can get into the fold. No one can take the sheep that he has redeemed and saved. He's this door of security. He protects but he also tells us, not only is he the door, he's the shepherd. He is the one who guides the sheep and take them by the still waters and let them lay down and let them relax. Give them a fresh drink from the water. He feeds them in the lush green pastures. He protects them from the lions, from the bears, from the wolves. And then when they come in, he puts the oil of gladness on them that heals their bodies. He used his rod, his staff, as corrective and directive measures. He is the good shepherd that shepherds us. And then he tells us in John 11 that he is the resurrection. I love the resurrection. We looked at the fact that the gospel of John from 13, chapter 13 to chapter 20, 48 hours is spent on dealing with the resurrection. Why? Because resurrection is so important. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, if there is no resurrection, our faith is useless. And so today we look at Jesus Christ telling us after he says, I'm the bread, I'm the light, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, I'm the resurrection. He says, I am the way. Today, 
he lets us know how do we get the benefits one through five and when you get to six he says the only way you can be the recipient of these benefits one through five is you're going to have to understand that I am the way I love what he says here in John 14 I know you got your text I want you to look with me and please have some pen or something where you can type and write because today I'm going to give you some things that I want you to write down impact saints of God people of God I'm going to give you some things that every Christian needs to have quickly available and ready. Every Christian needs to make certain that they can turn to so they can have an answer. Every believer needs this. So in John 14, it's a great text. 14.1, we see here Jesus with his disciples. They've had the Passover meal and Jesus preparing to go back to the father. And Jesus tells them, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. The statement in verse one here lets us know that a troubled heart is a decision of the will. It's a decision of the will. And in point number one, it's so important because it lets us know Jesus provides the way to the father. Here we go. He tells those disciples, yes, I'm going back to the father Yes, I'm going to Calvary's cross. I'm going to die. He says, but this is the one thing you guys need to understand. Do not allow yourselves to be troubled by what is going to happen or what is happening presently. That same declaration is prevalent. It is relevant. It is applicable for us today, September 20th, 2020. You look around the world and you see the situation with COVID. You see the economic downturn. You see the wind blowing the crops in the Midwest. You see the wildfires burning, ravaging the West. You see the hurricanes in the Gulf. You see the constant bickering about our political scene. And there are people whose hearts are terribly troubled. They're worried. They're concerned. What are we going to do in the context of all that is going on? Companies that are folding and going under. And people are saying, how will we survive? Jesus says in John 14, 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I tell you this morning, because God is on the throne, don't let your heart be troubled. Because you place your faith in Jesus Christ, do not let your heart be troubled. He said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, because let me tell you something. When you step out of time into eternity, he said, my father has dwelling places for you. He says, somewhere for you to live. He says, I have another home. Hebrews says, whose architect and builder is not man. It's important that we understand and we grasp this as believers because he's trying to ease our emotions and our concerns with life. There are many of us who have so many concerns and so many things that coalesce through our minds, our, our veins. And, and even as you're listening to me now, as you're sitting here watching via live stream, there's so many things that are competing for your attention. A cacophony of voices that are just calling to you 
that does not want you to have peace and tranquility within your spirit. But I hear my Lord and my master and my king. I hear the bread. I hear the light. I hear the door. I hear the resurrection saying to me, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not. Don't let it upset you. And I want you to hear me this morning. I don't care what report you receive. I don't care what broadcast you listen to. I don't care what the enemy tries to whisper into your experience. My God is truly the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the great I Am. And that's why Matthew eleven twenty eight he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and what? He says, My load is light. He says, Come to me. Come to me. He says, I'll give you rest. Why is the Lord saying this? Because he know the propensity, the proclivities that we have to be troubled in our heart and our spirit. He says, my father has a dwelling place for you. He says, I'm going, I'm going to prepare it for you. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I'm going to come again, verse 3, and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's telling these disciples this on the eve of him going to Calvary's cross. He will be beaten. He will be bruised. He will be despised. He will be hung. He will die. But the great thing about it is he knew that there was going to be a resurrection. The problem is that how do we get to be with him? And you got to understand something. Our society right now desires to quiet and to silence the voice of the Christian. I want you to hear me now. Stay with me. This is where it's going to get really important. We live in a world that does not, mind, does not mind you saying anything about God as long as you don't become very precise and definitive about which God you're referring to. When you use the generic term God, that can be anything from your wallet, from your relationship, from your prestige, from your power. It can be some type of figurine that you bow down to. God can be generic. There are so many things that can be under the rubric of God. But when you take and put that label of Jesus Christ on it, it changed the narrative. And we live in a world, and I want you to write this word down, universalism, that's desiring to push us toward universalism. We live in a society that desires us all to worship under the generic term God and not be precise and very definitive. Christianity is very precise, and we don't believe in universalism or what we would call pluralism, that many paths and any path leads to God. No singular religion can be dogmatic to claim to have the only way to God. That we need to have acceptance, tolerance, 
that we should be willing to allow all religions to worship in any method or form or capacity they so desire. That we can't proclaim to be superior because if we do, that is arrogant, that is prejudiced, that is racist, that is dogmatic, and there is no place for that in an equal and just society. That's what pluralism and universalism suggests. And so as a result of that, in every venue, every corner of our society, every sector, there is a desire to say we are all equal. No one path is different from another. We all are worshiping the same God and we will all get there no matter how we travel. And I'm here to tell you our Bible says something different. In academia, in our school districts, in the political arena. It is a constant and incessant desire to push us toward universalism. They're trying to indoctrinate our children with this idea, this concept. You can't say Jesus is the only way. And I'm here to tell you that the Bible is the one that says something different. John 14, 6, Jesus comes down here. He says, you know the way where I'm going for, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know the way. Where are you going? How do we know the way? Thomas asked that question. I'm glad Thomas asked that question because it is on the very lips, the ipsa verba, the very words of Jesus Christ. He utters a profound, I mean, unambiguous statement about how do I gain access to the Father? He says, I am the way. Note, notice that there's the definite article that is used there. He is very decisive, particular. He points to it. No one can say there is, he's saying a way, a few ways, potentially a way. He says, I'm the way. He distinguishes himself from all other paths that one might try to argue lead to God. He says, I am the way. And you need to make certain you write that down. Fact number one is this. Christians did not say there is one way for salvation. Jesus Christ did. One of the things in this universal pluralistic society that we live in, people get angry with Christians. There is a desire to just stone, to obliterate us, to remove us because so many groups argue we need to move the Christians out and get rid of the Christians because they are too dogmatic. Because they believe that they are the only way to God and so nobody wants us around because we're saying that the Bible says there is one way. Two notes I want to pause and I want to give you. One of the challenges I'm convinced of in the church of Jesus Christ today, and especially in the United States of America, is this. I feel like for far too long, our teaching has not paused and ensured that everybody is on the same page when it comes to the word of God, the Bible. Everybody is not convinced that the Bible is truly the word of God. It is authoritative. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is profitable, Second Timothy, for doctrine, for correction, for rebuke, 
for instructions in righteousness. There are so many people who are not convinced that the Bible is the word of God, first and foremost. And so when we come to the church, we are assuming that we are all beginning on the same footing. When we speak of the Bible and I reference the Bible, there's an assumption that the people who are listening to me are believing the Bible the way I do. That's a false assumption. Because so many people in the church are not convinced that the Bible is the word of God and it guides and it directs their lives. It is the word of God. And so as a result of that, we have people who read a text like John 14, 6 and say, well, that's what you interpret it as. No, that's what Jesus says it is. That's who Jesus says he is. Who is Jesus? He says, I am the way. So it's important that we understand, first and foremost, that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Second thing, we have to understand that Jesus truly says he is the only way. There is no other way. Yes, this is different from a pluralistic society with this universalism, but we embrace an exclusivism in the church of Jesus Christ because the Bible says it. Exclusivism says Jesus Christ is the only revelation of God. He is the son of God. He is truly God and he is the only way to God. And the one thing that I am trying to get certain in the minds of the believers is that you really believe that Jesus truly is the only way to God. Why, Roche? Because once you believe that, it should revolutionize the way you live how much time you spend in his word and how you hold it near and dear. If you are convinced that the word of God is truly authoritative, Jesus is the only way to God, it should change how you interact with those around you. It is the word of God. Here it is. Jesus tells Thomas and the rest of the disciples who are with him. He said, I'm the way. Not a way. I am the way. I got to ask you a question. Do you really believe that? I mean, right where you are watching me via live stream, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? If you like me, I have lived in various cities and different places, and I have encountered a lot of people. Over the course of the years of where I've lived, playing ball and so forth, I run into a lot of people, met people from all walks of life, travel abroad, you meet people all the time, wherever you are, on planes, restaurants, stores, playing sports, just meet people. And once we start talking about faith, my faith, then you really start to see what people believe. What is your true belief in your approach? Are you universalist? Everybody's going to go to heaven. No one faith is above the other. We shouldn't be dogmatic and arrogant to say there's only one way. I don't think it's arrogant. I think it's biblical. Or are you exclusive like I am and believe that Jesus is the only way? And you start to see that people have a mixture of beliefs. Because when you run into all these people, you find some nice 
well-meaning individuals throughout the world. Kind. I met people in different faiths who seem like they are sweet, kind, caring people, individuals who love their husband, love their wives, love their children. They are faithful in their community, faithful on their jobs. But my Bible says that is not the means in order to gain access to heaven or to get to the Father. It's not predicated on whether I have loved my spouse, loved my children, been faithful on my job. It is what did I do with the person of Jesus Christ based upon the word of God. It says my faith must be in him. And so what happens is this, is that we get emotional and we have an emotional response to things and we allow our emotions, our feelings to dictate to us how does one get to heaven? It can't be an emotional response. It has to be a biblical response. And the biblical response says that Jesus is the only way. You with me? I want to show you two things in the Old Testament that gives us real clear information about Jesus being the only way. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 5. It's a great text. I like this one. Love it, love it, love it. I know you say, you say about all of them, but they are. They're all good, man. Look, look, look. You got to see this. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 5. And here it is. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines, and they take it and they bring it to Ebenezer, to Ashdod, all right? So the Philistines took the ark of God, and they bring it into the house of Dagon and set it beside Dagon. You got to see this. All right, Dagon is their deity that they have, they worship. They have captured the ark of the covenant, and so they take the ark of the covenant. Remember, the ark of the covenant where God dwells between the cherubim on the seat. The hilasterion there, it is the mercy seat. So God dwells between the cherubs. So the very dwelling of God, where he is, has been taken into the presence of this false deity, Dagon. You got to see this. They take the ark, probably didn't carry it like God had prescribed. Number one, I know they didn't because these aren't Levites who are carrying the ark of the covenant. And they sit the Ark of the Covenant, God himself, in the presence of a false deity. You, you got the image you in your mind? And so they put the Ark of the Covenant there, and then the next day they come out, when the Ashdites come out, arose there the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. He, here it is, their statue has been sitting erect all this time but once this false God get in the presence of the true and living God who dwells beyond, between the cherubs their God falls down on his face before the true and living God y'all look in the text look in the text you got to see it they say he's on his face before the ark of the Lord so they took Dagon and set him back up in his place can you imagine your God is not a God who can sit you upright, not a God who can take you out of the miry clay. You have to pick your God up and put him back in place. Oh, somebody's serving the wrong God. 
I don't want a God that I need to pick up. I don't want a God that I need to carry. I don't want a God that is falling down on his face. I need a God who can pick me up, who can carry me, can get me off my face. I don't want a God falling down when I need him to pick me up when I have fallen. Oh, look in the text. Look, 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 look. So they put him back in his place. Is this not comical? The next day they arose early. They go out. Behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord with both palms of his hands cut off on the threshing floor. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. The next day God says, okay, y'all are going to put him back up. He says, I'm going to cut off his hands put them on the ground. I'm going to make the false deity bow down and worship the true and living God. He puts him on his face. Why does God do this? Because God is demonstrating that he is the only true and living God and there is no other. Listen, listen, listen. Look, look, look. The Old Testament was trying to demonstrate to us that there is no other God. Some of you say, I'm still not convinced. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. This is Joshua after he has led the people into the promised land. And you know Joshua was the successor of Moses. Joshua had complete success. Chapter 7 is the only place where we saw them really have some major adversity when they did not have the victory. Achan had to be killed because he covered and took the things. But we get to the conclusion of Joshua chapter 24 and at the Joshua chapter 24 and here it is, he says some things here. Begin at verse 13. I'm sorry, go to 14. Let's just go to 14. Joshua chapter 24. Watch this. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Listen, let me tell you something. You and I today have to decide if we are going to be a universalist. A pluralist or if we're going to be exclusive. He tells the people, he said, listen. When you were in Egypt, your fathers served the 360 plus deities that were there with the Egyptians. He says there was a deity and a God for everything. The flies, the sun, apis, the bull. I mean, you just pick one. There was a deity everywhere. And he says, you need to put those deities away. And God is saying the same thing to us because today in the U.S., there are so many things that have become our God. There are so many things that we are worshiping and anything that we attribute value to. Remember what worship is. Worship is when you attribute value or worth to something that you honor, that you pay homage to, that you use your time, talents, and treasures to attribute toward. And whatever you give that to, that is your deity. That is your God. Joshua says, put them away. Worship competing for your affection and your devotion to the Lord. What is it that keeps you from 
wholeheartedly serving God. Whatever it is, put it away. He says, serve the Lord. He said, if it is disagreeing in your sight to serve the Lord, choose yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers which served, which were in the beyond the river. He says, the gods of the Amorites whose land you are living in. He says, you can serve them. And the same applies today, Impact. Listen to me. You can choose whoever you want to serve. God will not put a gun to our heads. He will not force us to serve him. He says, I set before you good and evil. He says, you choose today whom you want to serve. He said, but nevertheless, you need to make a decision. And today we need to decide, is Jesus the only way will we serve him? And Joshua concludes, he says, but as for me and my house, he said, I don't know what's going on at your house. He said, but what's going on at 6 to 8, 14, he says, we are going to serve the Lord. All that come up in here, you're going to have to serve him. He said, the way we design this house, what we put in the house, what we allow or go on in this house, it all will have reference to our worship, to our devotion, our adherence, to our love, to our grace, to our God. We will serve the Lord at this house. He said, I don't know what you're doing at your house. He said, that's your decision. He said, but at my house, we're serving the Lord. That's exclusive. He says, we can't have all these other deities, trinkets, mute idols, consuming our time, distracting us, time wasters, an impact I'm asking you today, whom are you going to serve? Because, listen, our world is trying to silence us. On every hand, there's an attempt to silence the voice of the Christian. And if you and I aren't careful, if we're not truly 100% devoted to the Lord, we will allow this eclectic, ecumenical approach to come in and to silence us. And that's why fact number two is so important. Every path cannot lead to the same destination. It's not possible. My phone, I use my GPS all the time on my phone. I'm, I'm traveling all the time going somewhere. And one of the things I do is I always type in the address of where I'm going. I have about two GPS systems I use. Put it in the address where I'm going, my destination. And usually there are three things that come up when I put in a destination where I want to go. One, with tolls or without tolls. Want to pay the fee? We can get you there quicker. Got to pay the toll. Next one. There is the shortest distance to the point where I'm traveling. Number three is usually an alternative route that will require maybe 10, 15 minutes more of my time to get to that destination. But there are not 20 or 30 routes that get me to my destination. 
there's usually at the most three routes that I have that is saying that's going to get you to your destination. When you put in heaven into your GPS and you say, Lord, I want to know how do I get there? The only thing that comes up in my Bible is John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way. There are no other paths that you can take in order to get to me. There is no other means by which man shall be saved. And so often what is happening is we are trying to find alternative routes to our Lord. And the world is trying to offer you routes. But let me tell you something. They're going to lead you to a dead end. Jesus says, I am the way. And impact, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you really believe it? Because the challenge that we have in the church today is, one, getting people to really believe the Bible is the word of God. And number two, that understanding that Jesus Christ is the only way. It's difficult. That's why Acts 4, 12 is so important. He says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He's preaching here. He says, look, you all have crucified Christ. He said, but let me tell you something. That is the only way, the only means you rejected the stone. Verse 11, Acts 4, 11. He says, but there's no other name. And I just want to know if the church, if the ecclesia, if the true believers have come to the place where you really are convinced that Jesus Christ is the only way. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the way to the Father. When you embrace Jesus Christ being the only way, let me tell you something. You better know that your circle will, be, will become very narrow. There are certain events you don't have to worry about getting an invitation. Nobody's going to send you a text and you definitely won't get a phone call. When they are having select events, you, your name will not be on the list when you start saying, Jesus is Lord. I'm serving him alone. I have devoted my life to him. I refuse. I reject. I will not participate in activity that will not honor him and glorify his name. Once you get on that path, let me tell you something. Your phone will grow silent. Fact number three is so important. The closer you get to God, the further you get from people. See, Jesus Christ had these disciples with him, the 12, at this Passover feast. And he's telling them these words because Jesus Christ knew. He says, in just a matter of hours, he says, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to bruise. They're going to beat. They're going to mock. They're going to totally treat me with utter disrespect. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to Calvary and he doesn't have the 5,000 he fed with the fish and the loaves, the 4,000. He doesn't have the multitudes that he gave the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter 5 through 7. 
He doesn't have the 12 when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. When he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he has Peter and the sons of Zebedee, three people with him. And then when he goes further into the garden to really pray to the Father, he leaves the three behind, and it is him and the Father alone, and the three are asleep at his greatest moment of crisis. One thing we learn when we get closer to the Father, when we really get exclusive and we really hone in, let me tell you something, the crowds will get small and people will fade, especially when you're going through the adversity and you're trying to get closer to the Father for those moments of contention. Here it is. Jesus knew what he was going through and he understood because he knew he had to provide the way and that path went through Calvary's cross. And that is the path that we all follow in order to get to the Father. And because Jesus went that way, Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he provided the way. That's Philippians 2, 10 through 11. He's letting us know the day is coming where every knee will have to bow to Jesus Christ. If you believe that to be true this morning, I have a challenge for you. I have a 21-day challenge for everyone here in the sanctuary and those that are listening to me via live stream. 21-day challenge. I want you to participate with this for me. All right. For 21 days, I want you to take 21 days and I want you to ask at least three people in your family, co-workers, church members, if they but Jesus believe Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. Three family members, three co-workers, and three church members. I know you're saying, well, Rochelle, they're in church. Certainly they don't. Don't you believe that? We have so many people who attend church on a regular basis, sit in church, lead church, pastor churches, usher in a church, clean a church, security at a church. And there are many people who will die and step from time and step into the white throne judgment. And you need to go back and do your study of the judgments. The white throne judgment is in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 and 11. That is the judgment for the unbeliever. The books will be open and you will be judged according to all your deeds. Death, Hades, the sea will give up their dead and you will be judged according to your deeds. But then you have 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thank God for that. He said that's going to be the judgment seat of Christ called the Bama where the believer will stand before God and you will receive reward for what you've done. And either you will be at the white throne or the Bama seat of Christ, but nevertheless you will be judged. And I want to be able to say, Lord, I challenge those exclusively to be exclusive and to believe that you were the only way to the Father. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do it. 21 days. You can do more than nine, but, but just ask them because what you're going to find out is just like the video we saw at the introduction. You're going to find people stuttering and stammering, people who are quite fluent and articulate. All of a sudden, their tongue gets tied and thick and their mind starts to freeze. 
Because there's something within our humanity. If we haven't cut our teeth on the word of God and we're convinced and assured of God's word that we just don't want to believe that God is going to judge those who reject him. But if you believe this Bible to be true, let me tell you something. You have to lovingly, as compassionately as you know how, ask people these questions. And this is how you can set it up. Do it like this. Say, hey, I went to church the other day. I watched this video and I heard Pastor Coleman say, Jesus is the only way to God the Father. Jesus is the only way to heaven. What do you think? Just ask him. And watch the response. Watch the response. Ask the question and watch the response. I don't care if they're a pastor, associate pastor, evangelist, prophetess, ambassador. I don't care, but watch the response. Go look at some of your mainline denominations. I don't care who they are. But watch when you ask this question how their narrative will begin to change. Their countenance. There's going to be a twitching and a level of uncomfortableness that's going to come across because so many are not willing to agree with God's word. They say, well, that's your interpretation. No, that's not my interpretation. I'm just reading what Jesus said in his word. Jesus said here in John, he says, I am the way. He says, I'm the truth and I am the life. He says, my words are true. What I share with you are true. And I have repeatedly been saying this since I have been with you. Every path cannot lead to God. And Jesus tells us who he is. He says, I am the way to the Father. And impact, I want to challenge you this morning with this 21 day challenge. Ask some people. Just ask people as you go about. Just ask them. You can ask as many as you like. And while they're talking, just write down some of their responses. And I guarantee you, you're going to be shocked. The reason why I'm not shocked is because I've been doing this quite a while. And I always ask people, is he the only way? But I want you to do it. Why? Because this is our stewardship. Ephesians 4 says that we have been given offices to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We are here equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And when you go out and ask these questions, you're doing the work of the ministry. See, the universalist believes that we shouldn't evangelize or proselytize. That's what the pluralist says. And so they don't like the fact that we're trying to bring people over to our path because they said that's arrogant. That's dogmatic. You're racist. That's present. No, we're not. What we're saying is what the Bible says. We didn't say it. And because we believe there is a future judgment, great white throne, Bama seat, we want you to be at the right judgment. We don't want you to be a part of the lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And parents, if you love your children, you ask them this question. If you love your spouse, you love your mom, your dad, 
if you love your coworkers, if you love your neighbors, when you have those opportunities to ask them this question and give them an opportunity to make a decision and you throw John 14, 6 on them, there should not be a believer who does not understand and know John 14, 6 because it's so vital. It is the words that let us know how we get to the Father. Jesus goes on in this text and he's going to tell us, he said, I and the Father, one, he's talking about his deity. I wish I had time to explain it, but I want to let you know just real quickly. Jesus proclaimed the imperative that we understand he is number one, the way, but he's also God. He is our Lord. He's our master. And it's imperative that we share this with others. One day we are going to stand before him and we're going to have given account of our stewardship. And the one thing we have to remember is this, is that God's word is true. And that's why Isaiah 48 says the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. And I'm so glad his word stands forever. His word is a sure and a firm foundation. His promises are yes and amen. And we can trust in our God and know that he is our righteous redeemer because he's truly our bread. He is our light. He is our door. He is our great shepherd. And he is our resurrection. And he is the way to the Father for eternal life. And if you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. He's so worthy. Our impact fact for today is this. Christians did not say there is one way for salvation. Jesus Christ did. Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you challenging others to follow Jesus? Impact. We live in a world that hates us. I want you to know that. And it appears to me that the church does everything we can to try to make people like us. We act as if we are in high school trying to be class favorite. If they hated our Lord, they will hate us. I'm not trying to win class favorite. I am not trying to win a popularity contest. But I am trying to win lost souls to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that is your passion and your desire as well. No matter how much good we do in this world, people will still castigate the church. When hurricanes come and people are flooded, who's there first? The church. When tornadoes come and ravage people, who's there first? The church. When wildfires happen, people burn out their homes, who's there? The church. When the winds blow people crops and they don't have money, who's there? The church. When people are homeless and don't have anywhere to stay, who's there? The church. When people need shoes on their feet, who's there? The church. When people have medical bills that need to be paid, who's there? The church. When people need homes to stay in, who's there assisting? The church. And the world still hates us no matter what we do. Still hate us. No matter how good and gracious we are, no matter how forgiving we still are the most hated and despised. The world hates us. Just like it hated our Lord. And we have the duty to show grace and love, not try to be popular and make them love us, but to show them the love of Jesus Christ and point them to the way, to the truth, and to the life.
which is none other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. He's so worthy. He's worthy of all of our praise. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, though we understand we're despised and hated, Lord, you were hated first and you showed us the way. And Lord, we want to demonstrate that same love. Not because we want to be popular. We just want to do it because, because you first loved us and we want to transfer. Be the conduits of blessings in this world. Lord, use us. Father, for whatever you do, we will praise you, give you the glory and honor that you so richly deserve, and we ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Would everybody please stand? Hey, if you're here today in Sirocha, you know what? I've heard the challenge. And I do want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So if that is you, would you please just step to the back of the church? Or if you say, I just want someone to hold my hand and pray with me. If you want to be prayed for, you just want someone to talk with you for a moment, step to the back of the church. There are men and women at the back who would love, love, love to do that with you, help facilitate the process. Is there one this morning? We thank God for his grace. He's been so merciful and compassionate and kind. And I want to say, while you're standing, thank you so much for your presence. God tells us in his word, he's really clear. He says, Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. It's important that we assemble together. It's important that we come, because let me tell you something, there's a synergism, there is a unique movement of God's spirit when we come together. God's power is manifest, and I'm convinced God moved, God healed, God's delivered. He set the captives free. When we come together, God does something special, and I want to thank you for your presence, and thank you for watching this video live stream. Let us close in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Sustain, keep us, and guide us, and watch over us. And Lord God, for whatever you do, we will be certain to give you the praise, the glory, and honor. We love you. And we ask it all in the mighty and majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want to thank you so much for your presence. And also, if you're watching via live stream, click the link below, and you can learn how you can be connected with our church and how you can have salvation in Jesus Christ's will. Thank you again for watching. Have a great day.